us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for the blessing of being able to enjoy a day like today. Nothing special by world standards, but everything to us. We're just so blessed to be here, Father, with family, with folks that adore your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that thirst and hunger for truth, Father, that sets us free. So thank you, Father, for gathering us together this morning and reminding us of all the little things that you do so faithfully that we become familiar with them. But here we are. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't share with us this morning this way, that eventually you return them to the fold, that they enjoy this sweet fellowship, the privilege of being here this way, to break bread. Father, we pray also for those still lost in this world without hope, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. Speaking of, we are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to take that debt away, to redeem us. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 57. Um, this has been a very interesting trek uh, because, like some of you, probably we thought we would be, you know, beyond Proverbs 17, verse 6 by now, which is primarily family. But the Spirit is holding us up. He's saying, I got a few more things, so a, little, a few loose ends that I want to tie up before we move on. Speaking of, um, you know, loose ends, it was the idea of the deceitfulness of sin that came back to the forefront. That it's easy to be deceived. And then furthermore, once you're deceived with one lie, one of the most deceitful things about sin is that I call it, it's, it's like flypaper. Sin like gathers unto itself more sin. For as long as we allow that original sin to persist in our lives, it's like flypaper. Other sins come in. It sort of opens up that crack in the armor, right? And then other sins are able to sort of flood in. And there's a snowball effect up here on the board. Good is in quotes on purpose, obviously. A well-formed, a good lie never stands alone for long. You think you can pull it off, right? You think you can live in a little lie and somehow you can compartmentalize it over here. And it never attracts anything else to itself. That in of itself is your second lie. <laughs> Not only did you believe the first lie, but then you complemented it, just like I'm saying, with a second lie that, oh, I can keep it over here compartmentalized in a little shoebox that I just pull out on Friday nights. 
It doesn't work that way. Lies snowball. They have this awful effect of being like flypaper. So a good lie never stands alone for long. Before we know it, if we aren't careful, we find ourselves in a web of lies that runs back, who knows, several years? Several decades? If we're not careful. And when it gets that long in the tooth, right, the difficulty with that is that we don't always recognize what the root cause of the problems in our lives is anymore because it's so far removed that that original lie is so far removed from our today that we have a hard time getting back to it and identifying it and saying I, I do understand why there's a certain kind of misery in my life because that's it over there but when it's been lived in for so long it just becomes the new norm right We've normalized it. Instead of actually understanding it being delivered, we wallow in misery, and we wonder if we'll ever be delivered from the estate we're in. And I think this is one of the reasons why people, you know, drink alcohol or take drugs. They don't see any other escape. So they numb the pain by poisoning their bodies. But the tragedy is this, that while many injure themselves incessantly, there's always an available solution. Always. It may not seem like it, and that's what the kingdom of darkness wants you to believe. The kingdom of darkness wants you to persist in your desperation and say, I just, I just don't see an out here. I've been like this for three, four, five, ten years, twenty years. I've been like this for as long as I can remember. There's just no cure. I'm incurable. I can't help it. I can't get beyond it. There's just no escape, so I'm just going to live with it. And when things get too oppressive, I'll just self-medicate. You know, I'll numb the pain of it. And that's a real tragedy given the presence of this in our lives. That's the point. Up here on the board, deliverance is but a change of perspective away. You're never, don't ever buy the lie that you, it, you're incurable. That is the lie in of itself that keeps that original lie, you know, in the shoebox, that keeps that misery locked tight in your life. Because somewhere along the line, you made that decision that, well, I'm incurable. You know, I'm just... That's a lie. And you might, you might look at a point on the board and say, you know, that's easier said than done. Deliverance is but a change of perspective away. You know, it just sounds so quippy. Sounds so easy. And you know what? I'd agree. If... If you take the power of God's word out of the equation, then I would completely agree with you. I'd say, you know what? <laughs> We're all hopeless and helpless at this point without the word. So if you take the word of God out of the picture, then I, I agree 
much, you know, much easier said than done. Um, but given the fact that I'm speaking to an audience of believers, presumably, why in the world would any of us ever buy the lie that our depression, right, you get oppressed by something, oppressed pushes you down, you become depressed, that our depression is warranted, even. As if we have no right of escape. Why would we ever become like that? Let's read Jesus' words again. Go to Mark 10.24. Mark 10.24. Why would we ever become like that? I mean, if you're a believer, you are a child of God. And if you're if you've ever been, you know, if you're a parent, you don't want any of your children to be depressed. I mean, you're going to do everything you can to lift them out of there, out of that depression. God is a perfect father. And so he definitely doesn't want his own children to be in a state of depression. And so he gave us the word of God to help with our perspective because it is true. Deliverance is but a change of perspective away. That's it. Mark 10, 24. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? <laughs> really? I've never seen a camel go through the eye of a needle. This sounds pretty tough. His famous words were in verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, sure, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I mean, presumably you're all sitting here because you went through the same process that the rest of us did, which was you grew up and you realized, like Romans 1 says, that there is a God, and that he's great, and that he's sovereign, and he's the creator. And then eventually you believed in his son, etc., etc. And so it's interesting that we can believe that the God of the universe, that God can create what we know as our, the world around us in, say, you know, six days, which is unbelievable. Amen? But then, somehow, we get stuck with his ability to deliver us from anything? I mean, he can do all of this, but he can't deliver us? It does, there's no parity. Do you know what I mean? There's no parity there. It's like, yeah, I believe in God, of the, the holy, sovereign God of the universe, but I don't trust that he can actually help me. So you can do all of that, but you're incurable. Yeah. Well, obviously, that's silly talk. But we do need this kind of friendly reminder from God the Holy Spirit every so often. And verse 27 is a perfect place. With man it's impossible, but not with God. Salvation, my friends, is a miracle. You were Dead. Deader than a doornail. You were dead. Kaput. Out. 
cold, done, lifeless, dead. Imagine a dead person on the side of the road. Imagine, not to be gross, but imagine, you know, a person in a coffin. They're dead. Do you expect them to go, hey, what's up, Charlie? To sit up? No, they are dead. That was you, spiritually, done, kaput, dead. And God made you alive again. What? I think, I'm just saying, I think he can solve our problems. So couple verse 27 with Hebrews 4, 12 on the board. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We synthesize. What are our conclusions? Our hope actually is in the word of God. With God, all things are possible. And we have the word of God that cuts right to the chase. So when we think about being delivered experientially, we have this instrument right here. We have this instrument, this holy instrument from God himself that says, this thing can cut right to the chase. You think you're incurable? I beg to differ. Says God. I'm going to cut right to the chase with this thing. Right? And with me, everything's possible. I'm going to open up your world. I'm going to crack open that shoebox that you've got tucked away. We're going to look inside. It might be a little painful. We're going to look inside. We're going to ferret through it. We're going to throw all the garbage out. We're going to get this thing done. And your mind is going to be changed. And maybe, just maybe, when you look back, you're going to say to yourself, that really wasn't that hard. You know, I know. I was stuck, though. I know. So it makes perfect sense, knowing what the Spirit just said, that Jesus would say this in John 17, 17, up on the board. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Let that word, that instrument, do its job. Because it never comes back empty-handed. Amen? It never does. You say, oh, it does. Well, then you've been not reading your Bible, or you're reading it, as I'll talk about in a moment, with little or no interest in actually grabbing it and seizing it. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And just as a little side note, remember sanctification means to be set apart for God's purposes, to be delivered from evil to good, from darkness to light, etc. Sanctification is threefold, positional, experiential, and ultimate. So even after we are positionally sanctified at salvation, we must be experientially sanctified as believers. Hence, James's encouragement. Go to James 1, verse 12. James 1, verse 12. James 1, verse 12. So the power is certainly there. Because God is omnipotent. James 1, verse 12. James 1, 12 reads, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And you might even visualize that in the context of this morning as the deceitfulness of sin. One sin is like flypaper. One sin is asking greedily for more sin to accompany it. Do you follow? Right? Because you've been living in this sin, uh, let's, let's gather unto ourselves some more sin. Just like it. Verse 15, Then desire when it has conceived, uh, conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. You see how he brought us forth? By the word of truth. That's the power of the word. Verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness, and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, with humility, with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save, or you could put in the experiential uh, sanctification context, the word deliver, right? The word which is able to save or deliver your souls. Right? I read a really nice comment on James 1.21 that I'd like to share. It's kind of lengthy, but up here on the board, I want to share it with you because it was very well stated. McDonald on James 1.21, It is not enough to receive the implanted word. We must obey it. There is no virtue in possessing the Bible or even in reading it as literature. There must be, listen, there must be a deep desire to hear God speaking to us and an unquestionable willingness to do whatever he says. We must translate the Bible into action. The word must become flesh in our lives. Next slide, please. He continues. To profess great love for God's word, or even to pose as a Bible student, is a form of self-deception unless our increasing knowledge of the word is producing increasing likeness to the Lord Jesus. To go on gaining intellectual knowledge of the Bible without obeying it can be a trap instead of a blessing. Sounds like what the Spirit's been saying from the pulpit even. Again, to go on gaining intellectual knowledge of the Bible without obeying it can be a trap instead of a blessing. And then finally, next slide. If we 
continually learn but do not do it, we become depressed, frustrated, and callous even. Impression without expression leads to depression. Also, we become more responsible to God. So he says the ideal combination is to read the word and obey it, and I love this word, implicitly. Don't make, don't do that thing. You know that thing we all do, right? We go like this. La, 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 this is so good, this is so good, right? Oh. Oh. And you, you stop. You say, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Right? You do that, that halt thing. You are like striding. Right? And you come to a part that's like, you know, opens up the shoebox. And you're like, Ur! you kind of like do that thing. You know what I'm getting at? Don't do it. Like, you, you were totally fine with obeying all the good stuff. But as soon as the word said, hey, this right here, you know, this little glaring thing in your life right now? Yeah, that right there. That's not a lie. That's right there. Don't do that thing. Don't, like, stop and then do the, you know, the, uh, what Satan would do, which is uh, lawyer your way out of it. And go like this. I don't really like where that's going. Let me go see if I can find some other scripture to disprove what the Spirit just convicted me of. Nobody else does that. You know you all do it, right? Oh, no, 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 it says right over here to do this. That's where context matters, right? Where people, like, do stuff way out of context. Oh, no, it says to do this right here. Well, what's the context? Don't, want, don't mind the context. I'm trying to prove something so I can lawyer myself out of this conviction that I just hit face on when I was reading my Bible implicitly. That's the value of that word. Again, we become more responsible to God. The ideal combination is to read the word and obey it implicitly. Just have that attitude like, whatever you say, Lord, even if it hurts, I'm just going to keep on trucking. I'm just going to keep on doing this thing. Implicitly. I'm glad he added that word. Again, look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness. Some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Some people call filthiness this. I call it that. Right? You know when you're being filthy. Even a dirty joke is filthy. Even that off-color comment that you make is filthy. Right? Even when you're on your computer and no one's looking, and that little pop-up pops up, and you go... That's filthy, too. You get what I'm getting at? That's why a lot of people... I don't know, I won't say it. I won't say nothing. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Well, that's an easy one. Rampant wickedness. Those are, that's usually overt at that point. And receive with meekness the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Deliver your souls. You understand? That's what the Spirit's saying here. To deliver you from your own misery, from your own depression. What's he saying? He's saying receive the word implanted with meekness. Receive it. 
implicitly, in the words of McDonald, receive it, then read it with intent. I'll say it again. Given the fact that I'm speaking to an audience of believers, presumably, why in the world would any of us ever buy the lie that our depression, even, is warranted? Because it's a lie. Your depression is not warranted. Does it happen? Sure. Is it warranted? Is it right, necessarily? No. That's the whole point. Given what we understand about God and the power of the Word of God, and that if the Word is implanted, we receive it uh, implicitly, we can be delivered, because that's what the Bible tells us. Why would we ever become depressed? And is it warranted? And technically speaking, it's not. As McDonald said, he said, impression without expression leads to depression. If you do find yourself filled with anxiety or depression, my first line of advice is always the same. And I never say it with any condemnation or judgment because I wrote a blog not that maybe a year ago about depression. Right? I think I've wrote, written more than one about it for myself, from my own perspective, being in a hole and, and trying to share, hey, the, the way out of it was the word. The way out of it was a change of perspective from my Bible. So if you do find yourself filled with anxiety or depression, my advice to you will always be the same. Pick up your Bible and read it. But to McDonald's point, do not read it as literature. To quote him again, he said, the word must become flesh in our lives. It can't be a reading exercise. It can't be just knowledge. The word must become flesh in our lives. I've, I've used that phrase, you know, it becomes you, right? It, it becomes who you are. You ingest it, and you implicitly receive it and obey it. And it becomes you. The word becomes you. That's what he's talking about. The word must become flesh in our lives. And also read it with intent and humility. With intent and humility. To quote him one last time, to go on gaining intellectual knowledge of the Bible without obeying it can be a trap instead of a blessing. Think about what you're doing to yourself. You have the very power of God at your fingertips, right? He's given you sight to read it or ears to hear it. Think about what you're doing to yourself. If you go there with the wrong intent or without humility, this is what's going to happen. You're going to read it. You're going to listen, maybe even listen to your pastor. I don't know. Maybe that would happen once in a while, right? And you read your Bible, but your intent isn't there and your humility isn't there. So you read your Bible, you close it, you walk away, and you go, I don't feel, I'm not changed at all. And then you go back and blame the Bible and say, it's powerless. I did my homework. It didn't work. I'm out. You see what you just did to yourself? You had the power of the word at your fingertips, and now you're the one blaming that word for not working. But the Bible says you've got to approach it with intent and humility. You have to receive it with meekness. Do you understand? 
You have to obey implicitly. Don't do your lawyering exercise. Don't go, oh, don't like that one. I'm a filthy rascal. I want to stay a filthy rascal. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm going to wait until Monday before I make this change. Because I got a 30 pack in the, in the garage. You know what I'm getting at, right? I mean, this is what uh, Tom was telling me about before class. I'm sorry, Cal don't even know about it. I'm <gasps> My bad, my B. I'll be over later to help. I'm just kidding. Come on, people. Jeez, man. <laughs> Those are, you, know, you see what the Spirit's getting at, though? You have, to, you have to read your Bible with intent and humility. Otherwise, it becomes a trap instead of a blessing. You've trapped yourself into errant thinking, saying, see, it doesn't work. And all of this is true biblical wisdom. It really is. Here's our principle from last time up here on the board. The power of truth, the word of truth, is the one thing always able to break the chains of bondage to lies. One lie I just mentioned is you really, you don't have the, there's not a, it's not warranted that you remain in depression. Even the very presence of depression in the life of a believer has to be tied to sin somehow. Has to be tied to the human flesh. Has to be because the new creature isn't riddled with any of that. Amen? And so you have to make the connective tissue and go, this has to be wrong. And you know what? It is. It has to be a lie. And you know what? It is. That's the whole point. What is the word of truth? Or what is it that the word of truth gives us that's so magical? And I use the word magical because it's not magic, but you know what I'm saying. The answer is perspective. Hence our opening principle up here on the board. Deliverance is but a change of perspective away. If you ever need a change of perspective, read your Bible. Just read your Bible with intent and humility. Be honest with it. Receive the word implanted. And you will be delivered. And that's not, that is my personal experience. But it's not mine to keep. Right? Every good gift is from heaven. It's the word of God, as we just read, that said, that can deliver your soul. So this is truth from the word of God. What is able to change the perspective better than the word of God implanted into a humble soul? Nothing. The answer is nothing. <laughs> Go to Isaiah 55, 11. Isaiah 55, verse 11. The correct answer is nothing. Nothing's able to deliver us better than the Word of God. Nothing. And that's why if you're a true friend to someone that you know that might be down and out or depressed, your focus should be giving them the Word of God. Your focus should be getting them back to the Word of God or to the Word of God. Maybe they're not even saved yet. That should always be your focus. 
even as parents, you understand, parents, even as parents, we should be trained to give our children the bread of life. We should be trained, we should be intent on imparting the faith into their souls. We should love them enough to do that for them. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And just as a little side note, as I mentioned on Thursday, even if a person rejects the word of truth at face value, it's impossible they remain untouched by it, unmoved, unchanged by it. Even if they reject it, it's impossible that they're unchanged by it somehow. So to summarize up here on the board, rejecting the truth never changes it. The truth never leaves a person unaffected. Just because someone says, I don't believe that's true, does not mean it's not true. Because this is the infallible word of God. You know, word of God. God doesn't change his mind, right? Rejecting the truth never changes it. The truth never leaves a person unaffected. Even if they reject it, they are still affected. So these are two principles that have been sprinkled into our messages for years now. I encourage you to always remember them because you will be encouraged by them yourself. Knowing these things, you will be encouraged. You are going to be assaulted daily by the world system of thinking, particularly in the area of truth, as lies are slung your way from every side. You are also going to perceive that the word of truth can actually be ignored by some. You're going to look at them and say, it looks like they just ignored it. You ever done that? You give someone the gospel and they're like, give them, maybe you give a believer some truth and they're like, and you're like, how did they just get away with that? How do they just like, you know, flat out reject it? And so you're going to perceive from your vantage point, because you're not God, you can't see in their soul, but you're going to perceive that they're unaffected by said truth. But God says otherwise. We just read it in Isaiah 55, 11. God says otherwise. Just because you don't see what effect the word of truth has on a person doesn't mean it hasn't accomplished its intended task. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it came back empty. Because God sees the heart. So you, that's why you just obey. You just do your thing, and you leave the rest up to God. Here, I'll give you the two sides, or, or both sides of the coin regarding salvation proper to drive this home. When the Spirit convicts, listen, when a Spirit convicts a person of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in that moment, the Spirit says, here you go, pal. Time to make a decision. I am personally, powerfully convicting you 
of the truth about Jesus Christ. Right? When the Spirit convicts a person of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are either changed for the better or for the worse. But they are changed. For the better, in the sense that they believe it, are saved, and are literally changed forevermore. That's easy, right? But for the worse, in the sense that they are now rightly condemned to the lake of fire, because they have rejected what God has personally ensured they will need to understand. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. I think I mucked that up a little bit. For the worse, in the sense that they are now rightly condemned to the lake of fire because they have rejected what God has ensured they will indeed understand. So you see, they're not unaffected. Now they are literally under the condemnation of the holy God of the universe. And now they have to do that thing in Romans 1 where they actively suppress the truth, right? They didn't have to do that before, per se. But now they've literally been convicted by their creator, and they have to take a stance. And now they stand opposed to God. Does that make sense? What, that wasn't there before. Now they have to do that thing until the day they die. They have to stand against the truth. Because God convicted them of it. And now there's, a, there's enmity there. There's a new enmity there. There's a new friction there. There's a new problem that they have. And so you see, even the ones who, quote, reject the truth, reject the gospel, they are absolutely changed. Their life has been absolutely altered forevermore. Does that make sense? And that's the principle on the board. In both cases, the truth does not leave a person unaffected. Again, please remember these two principles from our years of studying the word of God together. Rejecting the truth never changes it. The truth never leaves a person unaffected. Here's the amplified version of the supporting verse we just read in Isaiah 55:11 up here. Amplified, so my word will which uh, my word be which so will my word be which goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me void, useless without result, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. In other words, I never fail, says God. So what does this mean for us believers? It means that we have a hope that transcends the power of any lie. That any lie might have over us. That perceived power. The one that lives, the one that lives in poor perspective as a result of believing lies. The one that lives in bad eyesight. That thing. The word can can overcome that. We have a hope that transcends any lie. Period. 
And so if we are living in a state of depression, somehow, some way, we need to trace it back to a lie. That's what keeps us there. Do you understand? I'm not worthy. That's a lie. Tell that to Jesus on the cross. I'm not this. I'm not that. That's a lie. That's from the kingdom of darkness, from the pit of hell, to keep you there. That's what you have to remember. We have a hope that transcends any lie, especially about ourselves. So here's the perspective that delivers up here on the board, the power of the word. If the word can save a person from hell, Jesus is the word, by the way, in John 1, then he can certainly deliver a person from a web of lies they've been living in. I'll let you chew on that. If the word can deliver a person from hell, they can, it can certainly, he can certainly deliver a person from some history of lies, you know. As MacDonald wrote, there must be a deep desire to hear God speaking to us and an unquestionable willingness to do whatever he says. That's the key. You read your Bible, and you don't play lawyer. You read your Bible, and with meekness, you receive the word implanted. Because that's the thing, according to the word, that's able to save or deliver your soul. That's the power of the word. And that's how valuable it is to read your Bible. But you just don't go there and read it as a homework assignment. You have to go with intent and humility. You have to go there with the implicit desire to obey. That's the key. If you just make it a homework assignment and you're being like a pouty little adolescent, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that blessing just turned into a curse. Because eventually you're going to blame the Bible for not working when all along it was you. Right? Consider our messages as of late on marriage and family. And consider what the Bible tells us versus what the world tells us about these institutions. Well, here's one thing that popped out of our messages lately up here on the board. An obedient person is a protected person. There is a microcosm called family, right? We know that. And when you're obedient, you're protected in that family. If you're disobedient and, you know, mom and dad says, hey, listen, you got to, your curfew, you got to stay in for your curfew. It gets dangerous after these hours at night. And you blow curfew because you're disobedient. Well, you're no longer protected by the watch of your parents. You've just broken out of the family. You've broken away from obedience. And so that's where family is like a little microcosm of, you know, God's family. And God says, don't break out of me. Don't break away from me either. Because every good gift is from me. Right? I promise. Obedience equals blessing. So an obedient person is a protected person. The world will disagree, telling you that the word of truth isn't to be trusted or abided in, because obedience implies to the word. You know, that the Holy Bible isn't really holy at all. 
Here's our encouragement up here on the board. Now's the time. Now's the time to receive the word implanted. We just read that passage. Now's the time to align your perceptions with God's reality. Now's the time to protect your family. Don't ever lose hope, for according to the Bible, there's always a cause, a righteous cause for hope. If you lose sight of said hope, then pray that God reinstall it into your soul. Has anybody, raise your hand if you've ever lost hope. Right? Wow, Carol, huh? You're unbelievable. No wonder why you drink. I'm kidding. Oh, that's so bad on a Sunday. I'm so sorry. I'm just picking on you guys because I never do. You guys, you know. I'm sorry. That was, that was an awful joke. My apologies. Right? There's always cause for hope. Amen? Like always. Always. The lie is that there isn't. So if you lose sight of said hope, then pray that God reinstall it into your soul. And again, I speak as a man because, frankly, that hope is never gone. You just lose sight of it. The hope is a reality. The, the substance of it is, is always there. We just lose sight of it. That's the perspective perceptive ability thing. Up here on the board, Romans 12, 12, this is why we receive encouragement like this throughout the Bible. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Again, your hope always exists in the sphere of God's love, which, according to Jesus, begins with obedience. Again, up here on the board, an obedient person is a protected person Again, it's not that hope doesn't exist. It's just that sometimes we lose sight of it. Now, I was thinking of a good analogy. Um, it's sort of like when you're a little kid, you know, like maybe, I don't know, three, four, even five in there, you know, like when you're really little. And you lose sight of your parents in a really crowded area, right? Like, in a, say you're in an amusement park. Right? It's just chaos all day. You're in a music pot, and you lose sight of your parents. In that moment, it's terrifying. I still remember it, like turning around. And it was so funny because my mother, I would see my mother running. <laughs> it took me years of therapy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you know that, I still, you know that feeling you have? Like, even if it's five seconds long, you're lost. Do you know what I'm getting at? It's, it's terrifying as a child. You're terrified. And yet, the whole time, your parents are standing, like, right behind you or a couple of steps away. So the reality is very different than the perception, than that, that moment of terror. In your distractions, you know, you just lose sight of them. And for a split moment, fear creeps right up your spine. And the horror is very real. That's the same with us believers and the promises of God. 
like hope. The hope is always there. We just lose sight of it sometimes. And we're horrified. It's always there. It's breaking my heart. Because it should never, you know what I'm saying? There's so much suffering, even among us. There's just so much suffering in this world. And it's all because of lies. It's all because, geez, we just can't see it right now. And so I just hear time, you know, explanations and descriptions after descriptions of people that are depressed or filled with anxiety or filled with fear or terror, or all these things. And it's just a perspective issue. So the hope is always there, but we just lose sight of it sometimes. And when that happens, we are terrified. But with the word of truth, God reminds us that he's been there beside us the whole time. And we have every reason every right even, to cling to our hope. We have every right. So let's read the encouraging passage we read last time. Go to Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. And just to be fair to the equation on the board, yes, Perspective. Sometimes your perspective can be changed in the snap of a finger, and it's all good, but sometimes it takes a while. Some of you like, yeah, my perspective is changing, present tense, but it's not fully changed yet. I'm still working my way out of this depression. I'm still working my way out of this thinking that has kept me low. I'm still working my way out of these lies that I bought somewhere in my life that have kept me down. And that's true too. So don't be depressed just because it's, you know, it's not like that. It has the power to do that. But the very first time that deliverance happens, it might take a little while. Right? And then you have experience. Maybe the next time it's this short. And then the next time, this is what it is to grow up in the faith. And then the next time. And then eventually it just becomes, oh yeah, I forgot. I lost sight. I lost sight. It's like that time that it took me six months to get over it first time. I remember the lesson. I remember that thing happening. I remember the sanctification. I'm so grateful for it, right? Because God's so faithful to me. That's why you just keep on going, right? You just truck along, just keep on plugging. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Ah, that's the beauty of grace. God says, you're my child. I want to grace you out. I want to bless you out. I want, you to sh- I want to show you my mercy. I want to show you my love. I've invited you into my family. Call me Abba. Call me Daddy. I'm always here. Dad! 
I'm right behind you. Oh. <laughs> you know? In that moment of terror, and that moment might be six months long, I'm just saying. It shouldn't be, but it might be. Because we all have fleshes, and we're at different levels of maturity. But in that moment, we just have to turn around. And Dad will be right there and say, I've been here all along. I've been here the whole time. I couldn't see you. I know. I know. But that's why I sent that bald guy, and that's why I gave you a job, so you could at least buy a Bible, so you could read it. So that eventually, slowly, you would be encouraged to turn around. And there you would see me. And that's when I would tell you, I've been here the whole time. And you will find great comfort in that. Maybe the next time it won't take you so long. And so on and so forth. That's grace. All right, let's go all the way back to our primary course of study. We do have to, uh, oh, it started to snow too, so uh, uh, let's go back, catch our, uh, regain our footing, and then uh, we've got to have communion service, okay? So go to Proverbs 17, verse 1. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests hearts. An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker... He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Here we are. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. And so we've been on this perch on family. Godly family is an obedient family. A godly family is a family blessed with hope and love. A godly family keeps Christ at the center. This not only blesses the family, but it brings glory to God up here on the board on marriage and family. A marriage and family of believers is designed to bring glory to God. That is the very first objective of both divine institutions for believers, to bring glory to God. That's it. That's the first objective, to bring glory to God. So if perspective is everything, and perspective is directly influenced by perception, then what happens to you when your perceptive abilities are muddied with lies up here on the board? The danger of skewed perception. Disoriented people make terrible, life-changing decisions about marriage and family, due to false presumptions about what these divinely ordained institutions were meant to be. i got to marry anybody. Somebody marry me, because I don't feel worthwhile otherwise. That is a lie. That is an insult, even, to your creator. Happens all the time. Ladies, I don't know. Men, I don't know. Terrible decisions are made because of lies. 
I'm not worth anything unless I'm married. I'm not worth anything unless I can bear children. I'm not worth anything unless I make six figures. I'm not worth anything unless I can do that. I'm not worth anything unless mommy and daddy approve. I'm not worth anything unless my... And God says differently. God says, Jesus said, I would have gone to the cross just for you. So to hell with the world. To hell with all the lies. It's about me and you. I died for you. I love you. You were worth it to me. You're still worth it to me. When this all plays out, there's inevitably pain and suffering, especially when those involved are believers. As we saw earlier, Hebrews 4.12 states that the word of God is able to cut right to the marrow. In other words, the word of God is a double-edged sword. It can either be a source of peace or suffering for a believer. Peace when they are rightly oriented to it, suffering when they are not. Again, a perfect example is our current point of focus with family. Up here on the board, the danger of skewed perception. For believers, what was meant to be a blessing turns into a curse. That is the fate of the believer who enters into marriage and family with little or no regard for God's will. So a disobedient person is a person who has willingly ejected themselves from the sphere of God's love, experientially speaking. Is the love of God still there always? Is God still right there behind us? Yeah, indeed. Just like hope. But for as long as a person is disobedient, they will lose out on blessings granted to those who are oriented to God's will. In other words, oriented to the word, obedient to the word. One more passage and I'll move on to communion. In families and in life, in families and in life, love is the objective. In families and in life, what's the objective? Oh, wow. You unloving group. What's the objective? Thank you. It doesn't hurt to say it. Sometimes when you say it out loud, it actually helps. Sometimes it's like a little wake-up call. Love. It's that simple. Go to Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15. Simply said... Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Speaking the what? Look at verse 15. Speaking what in, in, in love? Right here. Speaking this, this is the word of truth. Speaking the truth in love. 
What do you think I'm doing for you this morning? I'm just one servant among many. I'm just one minister with one ministry among many. I think it's, what is it? First Corinthians 7, variety of ministries. I forget. Maybe uh, 12, might be First Corinthians 12. I'm just one minister in your life. You're just one minister to others. But it's this that matters. Speaking the truth in love, we grow up. We mature. We are sanctified, just like Jesus prayed for in John 17, 17. We are sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. And we build up. We grow as a body in love, in the sphere of love. And all the Spirit's been teaching us on the topic of marriage and family is that's our entree. God says, I'm going to give newbies, newborns, a little cocoon that I, can, that I can cultivate them, that I can protect them. Right? Obedient people are protected. That I can protect them. It's your job as a parent to protect that child. God gave you that responsibility. He gave you that little cocoon to protect, to protect that child. Raise them up in the faith. That is your supreme duty to your children. Above all else, that is your supreme duty to your children, to raise them up in the faith. Why? Because the end result is love. Is love. Not that toxic love. Not that subjective love that depends wholly on others. Right? That, that that's, the, that's the economy. Well, I'll love you for as long as you deserve to be loved. That's not godly love. The truth says completely otherwise. And when you've got a family that's built on that truth, you grow up. And when it's expanded to thinking, our thinking expands to thinking about God's family, that's how his body grows. That's how Christ's body grows up in love. It's truth. So I'll end with this, I guess, up here on the board. Here's what the Spirit gave us to chew on last time. Maximum glory to God is the result of his love being present in a family. Does that make sense? Love is the fruit of the truth. Love is that expression of what exists at the core of the family. Let's all rally around Jesus Christ. Let's all take in the word of truth, the thing that's able to deliver our souls, the things that's able to keep us objectively loving one another. You know, things like forgiveness. I forgive you. Matter of fact, you know what's funny? You haven't screwed up in a while. I've been expecting you to screw up. I don't mean that in like a free pass, but you know what I'm saying, right? If you understand anything about the human flesh, you kind of expect it to be in your grill every so often. Amen? Right? You kind of expect it to rear its ugly head every so often. And you say, where you been? Where you been? <laughs> right? That thing's awful. But because you are protected, because you are protected, right, by the Word of God, you're delivered. And because that person is protected by the Word of God, they're delivered from you and so on and so forth. And that's the beauty of the way God designed family. Maximum glory to God is a result of his love 
being present in the family. Amen? All right, let's get the elements out, gentlemen. We'll prepare for communion service. Thank you, gentlemen. You guys do a fantastic job. I think I just watched five inches of snowfall in that period of time. <laughs> short on help? Like, what's going on? You poor guys. Are we short on help or something? Can we get like two more guys? Can we do that? Just saying. <laughs> anyway. Um, in all seriousness, um, it's just, I mean, times like this, it's just wonderful. Um, messages like this one, they're just, you can be overwhelmed by them sometimes. And it's a good thing because the Lord has spoken to you from this pulpit. I don't mean that as in any other way other than it's a, it's a true grace gift for all of us, myself included, to be here this morning 
and to just break bread this way and to be joyful about this family that he's brought us to uh, on this snowy you know, morning in this time in 2021. It's just every moment is just beautifully unique. Um, don't miss it. Enjoy the now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a beautiful thing. So I'm just so grateful. I hope you are as well for everything that he's done for us, for this family especially. 1 Corinthians 11:23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of his person. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, in remembrance of his work. Let's drink the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for opening our eyes to truth. Thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for revealing to us your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for the blessings that come with obedience. And thank you for encouraging us along the way. Thank you also, Father, for affording us the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together in the presence of you. We just ask that we take the things we've learned this morning, Father, back to the privacy of our own souls, our marriages, our families. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.